0: There was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to stay there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, Look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. They will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so it will go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. So the woman was taken to Pharaoh's household. He treated Abram well because of her, and Abram acquired flocks and herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves, and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with a severe plague because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh sent for Abram and said, What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why didn't you say, or why did you say she is my sister, so that I take her as my wife? Now here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him. They sent him away with his wife and all he had. Let's pray. Father, we approach this text in humility. We know that we too are often riddled with fear, but we come before your throne knowing that in spite of our fear, you are a God that saves, that what we plan for evil, you plan for good, and that even our good are rags compared to your riches. So Father, humble us as we hear our text today, the truth that you have for us today, and give us hearts and ears to listen. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Do you know what the f- most frequent command of the Bible is? It's not to love others. It's not to be holy. And it's not even to fear God. The most frequent command is to not be afraid or fear not. It appears literally hundreds of times throughout the Old and New Testament as fear not or do not fear. And then hundreds more are woven into stories, psalms, poems. It's no coincidence that the most frequent command coincides with one of our most frequent emotions. God knows that we are bombarded with fear at every turn. And maybe some of us are afraid here today. Maybe you're afraid of losing your job because of the pandemic. Maybe you have lost your job and you're afraid that you won't be able to support yourself or your family financially. Maybe you're afraid of who is or is not the president. Maybe you're afraid of the pandemic. Or maybe you're afraid of the vaccine. Certainly the riots that we've experienced over the last year is evidence of fear, is it not? And certainly the riot that we experienced this last week is evidence of fear. Make no mistake that none of us are strangers to fear. So at least we can go into this text understanding the predicament that Abram is placed into and uh, when he makes this bad choice. Let's look at uh, Genesis twelve ten through 13, where we're going to see that Abram's fear leads to poor choices. Is there a better screen to point to that? Okay. You guys got my back. Thank you. <laughs> so there's a famine in the land. Abram goes down to Egypt and stays there for a while because the famine was so severe. When he was about to enter Egypt, he says to his wife, Sarai, look, I know that you're a beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Let me, uh, they will kill me and let you live. Please say that you're my sister And it will go well for me because of you. And my life will be spared on your account. There are healthy fears. Like we said before, not all fear is sinful. There are fears that lead you to protect others. There are fears that lead you to protect your ministry. Uh, I may be fearful that my son is cold in the night. And that leads me to go give him an extra blanket. But that's not what we're seeing in this text. We are not seeing a fear that is gospel-centered. And we are not seeing a fear... That first prioritizes a fear of God. We see in verse 11 that this fear sets in for Abram prior to anything happening. He is, uh, he is precursing his enter into Egypt with fear. He's already afraid of what he's about to see. And he makes a game plan. He gets ahead of his fear for this make-believe situation. Driven by fear, he believes that his life is in danger because of the beauty of his wife. So he justifies his fear. He does this by saying, I know the Egyptians, they have a reputation, so I know what I'm about to get into. And then there's also a patriarchal societal law, which basically means that the social climate of this day for Abram was such that in enemy territory, a man could be killed for his wife. So it's easy to understand. We can understand Abram is fearful and why he is fearful. We can't fault him for being afraid of the Egyptians and their reputation or the culture of that time. But what we can say is that he continued acting out of fear instead of acting out of faith. Does Abram have any reason to believe that he is going to die at this point? God promised him earlier in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, that he would be blessed with many descendants. And as far as I can tell from the text, Abram and Sarah, I haven't gotten working on that promise yet. This is a moment where Abram is being forgetful of the promise of God. If he remembers the promise, then he'll realize, I can't be dead and God still keep his promise. So Abram either forgot or his faith is beginning to slip. It's wavering at this moment. What does this mean for us? Many of us can justify the ways that we are fearful, justify the actions that we commit because of the fear in our life. That doesn't make the fear rational, though. It doesn't make uh, our actions justified. It's quite likely that many of our fears stem from a reality in our life. We all have stressors, problems, unfortunate situations, But what we do in response evidences our faith. It evidences our trust in God keeping his promise. Abram responds out of fear. How? He starts with a lie. In verses 12 and 13 he makes a plan to lie. He says to his wife, go tell them that you are my sister not my wife. Now if we jump to the head we have the benefit of 20, uh, or foresight, right, being 2020, we can look at chapter 20, verse 12, and Abram gets into a similar situation where he lies about his wife. He's a repeat offender. But in this situation, he explains saying that it's actually his uh, half-sister. So I guess he's telling a white lie. It's a partial truth. Do we justify ourselves with partial truths? Abram's focus here... Is also selfish. He says in verse 13, So it will go well with me. He's putting his wife on the line so it will go well with him. It's obvious that his reaction is a fearful one because it's first and foremost a selfish one. It's self serving. And if you were to go to chapter 20, there's a similar story where Abraham lies, or Abram lies about his wife, and uh, he gets his wife into trouble yet again. It's a problem, uh, problematic pattern of behavior for Abram, and this is something that we can reflect on too. Let's not be judgmental of Abram, but say, how can I learn from this? Do I have a pattern of behavior? Don't be fooled, church. A white lie is dangerous, just as any other sin. It can lead to a pattern of behavior in which small lies become uh, tempting and attractive and appealing because it's not so bad. And then once we participate, Maybe a little bit later, it's not so bad to have a bigger lie. The sensation of the white lie no longer holds any weight, and we go on to bigger, bigger sin until it becomes routine. And we will see from Abram's example that even a small twisting of the truth can lead to a devastating outcome. Church, I have to ask, is there something even just slightly off course in your practice, in your thinking, It might not be something big. In fact, it might seem absolutely trivial. You think, I won't get caught. No one's going to get hurt. Don't fool yourself. Don't play with fire. Instead, run from the sin, no matter how big or small that we think it is. So, so far, we see that Abram's choice is leading to, uh, or Abram's fear rather, is leading to a poor decision or a poor choice. We're also going to see that Abram's fear is going to lead him to a poor outcome. I think I'm going to continue to need your help. Oh, point it over there. Thanks, guys. (laughs) It's ironic that Abram's fear about the common Egyptian... Walking the street doesn't come to fruition, but instead, he forgets about the most powerful Egyptian there is, Pharaoh. Remember the patriarchal law that I brought up earlier that allows men to basically attack uh, other men that are considered enemies in their territory if they had something that they wanted. There's another ancient Eastern culture uh, norm in which kings could regularly claim any unmarried man or an an unmarried woman for themselves. Now the family that were uh, suffering from this onslaught could say whatever they wanted. They could argue against the king, in this case, the Pharaoh, uh, but they really didn't have any power over what was about to happen. So Abram, by being afraid of the day's customs more than he was trusting the promise of God, put his wife in danger instead of himself. There's a commentary called Opening Up Genesis by Kurt Strassner, and he says it like this. Look at the man of faith now, asking his wife to do this so it may go well with me. This is a far cry from God's mandate that a husband love his wife and give himself up for her in emphasis. sorry, in Ephesians 5. And it is a far cry from the Abram that we've been admiring so far. He traded in his wife for sheep, oxen, and donkeys. What has happened to Abram? He momentarily stopped believing about what God said in verse 3. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you believing that would have taken care of any inappropriate advances made towards his wife but he forgot what God said so when he arrives in Egypt Egypt he instead of trusting the Lord devises his own plan this commentary shows us that you know Abram's choice his schemes it's born out of fear And what's happened is that God's promise ultimately is thrown into jeopardy because of Abram's actions, and now God has to go and rescue Abram's wife so that the promise might be fulfilled. I wonder how many things we miss in our lives where we think we're not hurting anyone, but we're putting the promise of God in jeopardy because of our actions, and then God has to continuously save us. I'm thankful that he does. I know I need it. So we've seen that fear leads to a poor choice. Fear can lead to poor outcomes. And let's see if we can get this on the third try. Yes. We also will see that God saves in spite of our fear. Starting in verse 17, but the Lord struck Pharaoh and his household with a severe plague because of Abram's wife Sarai. So Pharaoh sent Abram and said, "What you have done, or what have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? What did you say, or why did you say she is my sister, so that uh, I took her as my wife? Now here's your wife. Go and take her." Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. This is a but-the-Lord moment. Pharaoh connects the dots about what happened. Maybe he had one of his officials go out on the town and understand the story of who this woman really was, and he connects the dots. These plagues come in the moment he accepts Sarai from Abram. And then he rebukes Abram. Isn't that interesting? An evil man, a man not affiliated with Yahweh, our God, corrects a Christian at this point. I guess they weren't Christians. They weren't following Christ. They were following God. But Abram should have known better. And how humiliating or uh, humbling is that for us when a non-Christian talks into our life? Shouldn't we be the example? It's not hard to fall into these practices just like Abram. And he needs to be humbled when Pharaoh rebukes him saying, didn't you know this wasn't the right thing to do? So he doesn't know the God of Abram, definitely not like Abram knows him. And yet he's teaching Abram. It's a, it may just be a humbling reminder to many of us when someone on the streets or even our secular friends come with a loving heart to correct us. So God had to save Abram's butt here. We don't want to be like this version of Abram that we're seeing today. But how do we get to the spot in our lives where we can trust God completely? Where we can get to the spot where we honestly say that I will be done. Even when I think I know what's going to happen and I'm afraid of it. We must remind ourselves over and over The promise of God and who He is. We have to continuously do it so that it doesn't get boring, so that we don't forget the promise, and so that we trust it. Let's take a look at the contrast of some other people, some other characters in our book. Let's start with a guy that we may be familiar with, Peter. He's a guy who's deeply devoted to Jesus, isn't he? But you remember that story when he's walking on water? What happens? When he loses sight, Jesus, he sinks immediately. That might be how some of you are feeling right now. Maybe you feel like you're sinking. You're at the end of your rope. You don't know where to turn. You don't know what to do. Where do we turn to stay afloat? There's not too many characters that we can pull from that's always afloat, but there is one. What is Jesus doing? Remember that story when the boat is rocked by the storm? What is Jesus doing in that story? He's resting. In Mark 4, he's asleep while everyone else is frantic for their life, worried, fearful. How can Jesus do this? We could say, well, we know that he's God, so of course he would know nothing's going to happen. I think that's too superficial. I think there's more to this. And we can pull from his life to show that there's more. He had a more robust faith, and he had a more complete trust. How? There's something that Jesus does whenever he's faced with difficulty. Whenever he's faced with the crowds, jeering at him, taunting him, accusing him, he doesn't become afraid. He retreats to prayer. Jesus could have been fearful when his life was put on the line at trial multiple times. And again, when he's on the cross in agony, but what does he do? He prays for the people who are afflicting him. He could have been fearful when he was in the garden, preparing for the moment that was about to come. But he prayed to the Father. We can see just from the examples of fearful times in God uh, Jesus' life that he is setting a tone for us. There's a direction that we can go. We can lean into the Father through prayer whenever we're afraid. Um, there's a story in John 8, uh, if you want to turn there afterwards, um, it's a little little story about the Jews accusing Jesus of essentially blaspheming, but they're wondering, they have a question for him, and this is where Jesus gets a, a title, greater than, uh, greater than Abraham. The Jews at this point, um, they're not really understanding Jesus' is teaching about not seeing death in their life, and they question him, they say, are you better than Abraham, because he died and so did all the prophets since he doesn't respond yeah i am better that would have been a truthful answer but he has something much more profound further in the chapter he says before abraham was i am jesus is not just saying yes i'm i'm greater but he is saying i am greater than abraham and i'm, I'm the greatest of all i'm god the I am statement is the same as the I am that we know to be Yahweh. The implications of John 8 are huge for us. You remember the most frequent command, fear not, that we discussed earlier? Hundreds of times we see fear not in the Bible. You know what that's normally followed by? For I am with you. Fear not, for I am with you. God is the reason that we can fear not. He is powerful, he is mighty, and he is with us. And this isn't just a sappy notion, like my prayers are with you. Do we ever lift up a half-hearted notion of grace to someone like that? Because this is not a half-hearted notion that God is giving us. He doesn't just say it, he backs it up. Jesus came down from the heavens to be a man acquainted with grief, to be a man who was mocked, scorned and persecuted, despised so that he could say, I am with you. That has such great implications for our life, doesn't it? Do you understand what it means that we believe in a God that is powerful and loving and never, you are never alone? What that means is that if you are afraid of what 2021 holds for you, you're not alone. If you're afraid of the virus, you're not alone. If you're afraid of a political party being in power, you are not alone. If you are afraid of your financial security, you are not alone. If you're afraid of public speaking, you're not alone. And if you're Abram and you're afraid of someone murdering your beautiful wife, you're not alone. Abram wasn't wrong for being afraid but he was wrong in acting as if he was alone. If he remembered the promise, if he believed, truly believed that God was there, he might have done something different. I don't know what. But the story might have read that he talked to God first before making a decision. Or maybe he would have marched boldly into the streets proclaiming his beautiful wife is his because he wasn't fearful. What are we doing out of fear today? Are we forgetting God's promise in our life? Maybe after 2020, you feel like your faith in God and his ability to keep his promises wavering. So what do we do in response? We see from Genesis 12, 10 through 13, that fear leads to a poor choice. Pray before making that choice. The solution is to come to God and rest your fears at his feet. We see in verses 14 through 17 that this fear can lead to a poor outcome. What's the solution? Trust God to answer that prayer and trust that God's way is better than yours, even if you don't understand it. When we are faced with fear, We are typically called to trust and obey. And when we forget this, it might be helpful to hum a little hymn to yourself. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Or maybe when you're swept up in fear, you can sing to yourself, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus saith the Lord." Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh for grace to trust him more. And that's the message that I want to encourage you with, is to not be afraid of your fear, to not believe that your fear is indicative of sin, but to be encouraged to trust Jesus more and more, like the psalm. Let's pray. Father, we humbly and boldly come before your throne with a simple but sometimes difficult request to trust you more and more, to put the decisions that I've thought up, that I've crafted into your hands, Lord, to truly say that I trust you and thy will be done. We pray in the name of your son. Amen.